The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, church family. We'll be reading from Acts 13, um, from verses 13 through 52, and that's on page 1105 of your Bibles. From Phaethos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper from their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you were looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am unworthy to tie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God had said, I will give you the holy and I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God has raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said to you does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism 
followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We have to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of this word. Let me start out by saying this. This is an incredibly long passage of scripture, and since we um, have our children in the room with us today, um, you, your attention span might not last. So let me go ahead and give you the point of the teaching. That way, at any point you check out, you at least at the point, all right? So at least we all know our attentive right now. So if you believe in Jesus, all right? So I know that there's two sets of people in the room that do believe. And, and those of you that are, are, are trying to decide if you're going to believe. So the point of this teaching for those of you that believe in Jesus is, are you ready to give such a speech? For those of you that do not believe in Jesus, forgiveness of sin has been given to us. So the passage, for those of you that don't believe, is really a case if you're Jewish to understand and how forgiveness of sins have come. So this particular passage of Scripture was not written to a, a, a group of just random people. This speech by Paul was specifically to Jewish people. And I think it's very important to understand that because so many of the points in who who his audience was and that particular audience was a very specific information. So those of you that believe, are you ready? If somebody was to say to you, please stand up, tell us why you believe. Give us something new. Would you, be, would you feel comfortable if your lab at work finally said, okay, look, we know you're a Christian. Stand up now and make a case for it. That's almost a very similarity to what happened here for this particular group of believers that Paul and Barnabas were a part of. All right, so let me go back just for a minute. For those of you that have not been traveling with us through the book of Acts, up to this point, there have been many moments where the Spirit of God was coming and people were coming. And even last week, was set up as an example because they had set aside themselves to a specific rhythm of devotion. And let me give you the, the summary slide from last week. They, their pattern of devotional life was they spent time fasting and praying in the midst of their worshiping of the Lord. So they were disciplined to do this on a regular basis. Therefore, they began to send people out, leaders and other people, to go to places that the Spirit was saying, look, you need to take the good news that sins are forgiven through the risen Jesus to other places. And they were waiting for the Spirit to give them fresh direction. So we have no idea of how long the waiting was. But I pray 
Their waiting in moments felt like they were, they were waiting longer than an hour's service. There could have been days, weeks, months. Luke doesn't write to us time. He tells us what they were doing. They were fasting and praying and worshiping the Lord and waiting for fresh direction. And so, so much about what's happening in Paul and Barnabas are because this is a pattern for living. If we're wanting, those of us that believe in Jesus, if we're wanting to experience a fresh power of God coming in and through us, then we have to figure out a way of disciplining ourselves for the right type of outcome. You can't just watch exercise videos and get fit. All right, I'm guessing all of you are now well aware of what I mean, right? So if we, in our lives, say, I have got to learn to pray so I can grow in my understanding and that the Spirit can speak directly to me and we begin to carve out time for all of that, then maybe there's going to be an opportunity for us to begin to see God do something miraculous. So this particular chapter, Acts chapter 13, becomes this, the, the, the pattern of what Paul does again and again and again. And so I wanted to put this on a slide for you because the simplicity of it is something that I think is really important for us. You and I have got to find where God has put us a pattern that is effective. We're not all in the same occupation. We're not all at the same educational level, the same economic Some of you are still students. Some of you are in your careers. Some of you are over 50. The majority of you are under 50, right? And so there's so many different things impact us. And the body of Christ is designed to impact at every level and every fabric of culture, life, society, gender, um, continent. It doesn't matter. It's designed to make an impact at all of those levels. You and I are at all levels. We're designed, each and every one of us, the goal of the church isn't for you to go out and just invite somebody here so I can tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ. The desire is is that they come because you tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, then we're going to have a much broader impact. And so this particular passage is, again, an example of how Paul treats almost every city that he visits. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But this is also a place where Paul now becomes the primary voice. Up until this point, it's been Peter and Barnabas and others. But now Paul is now stepping in and becoming the primary vocal voice. And we're going to find through the rest of Acts, it's pretty much Paul that's doing most of the talking. And I think it's important for us to realize there are going to be points in times where God's going to want different people at different times and seasons for the maturity of his church in different our family life, and we're going to need to be willing to say, okay, this is what God is asking us to do and how to move forward. I also believe that one of the reasons why Paul began to take the lead is because it was his territory. This is where he was from. He's not far from the people he grew up with. This is a, a part of the world that he would have maybe known people, would have people that have seen him kind of grow up as from a childhood. And so there's a part of me many times when you invite me into your workplace, I'm not coming to take the lead in your workplace. I'm coming to support you as you take the lead in your workplace because that's your territory. It's where God has you. And he wants you to become more and more comfortable talking about things happening. But this is also a very typical 
situation. So Paul's pattern was to go to which people group first? Jewish people. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's so racist. No, it's not. It's strategy. He wasn't going to Jews alone, but he was going to where he had a starting point. And so it's very likely in this passage of Scripture that when Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue, they knew they were going to be asked to talk. Because that's why in it says that after they had read from the law and the prophets, they, they turned to Paul and Barnabas and said, please speak. Because in the first century in a Jewish synagogue, it was customary to ask a visiting Jewish person to share a fresh from wherever they had traveled from after they had just finished reading the law and the prophets. So Paul and Barnabas knew just by showing up, they were going to be say something. Places in Acts and the New Testament believe that Paul and Barnabas were dressed a specific way because they knew that if they dressed a certain way and they showed up at the synagogue, they were going to be asked to talk and they would have been viewed as an expert. So today, I am not normally dressed. I don't think I've ever seen Ellis in a t shirt. Some of you are like, matter of fact, I've never seen Ellis in anything other than a college shirt and dress shoes. Because that's what I feel comfortable in. I do not. I, I've heard two people whisper behind me, Ellis is dressed kind of hipster today. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I don't take that as a compliment. <laughs> Number one, I'm too old. All right. <laughs> that was my wife. And, um, but part of some of you, that you would rather me be dressed this way than a typical way that a pastor would dress. And so some of you would say, I want to talk to you now because just based on the way you're presenting yourself, you now... Now again, there's a few of you, and put your phones away. <laughs> some of you I know aren't reading the scriptures right now. You're taking pictures. <laughs> Shame on you. Um, but because times you look for familiarity, you look for a trustworthiness, and I don't feel like when I dress this way that I present myself as being trustworthy, all right? Some of you, that's not a big deal, but this is just part of the way that I've grown up. But yet the point of the matter is, is that you and I have got to be intentional. Now, I, I want this to be a picture for you about intentionality, the Lord has you here right now, wherever you are intentionally. So therefore, why should we not wake up every day saying, God, what should I intentionally do to be prepared for today? I have to be prepared for what I'm about ready to face. So there are times in my day that I will close multiple times. And it's not because I don't feel comfortable, because I if I dress this way and then I go to listen to. Like a couple of years ago, I was invited into a meeting with some of the mayor's assistants and some of the police um, leaders, and I immediately went home and put on a suit without a tie, but I wish I would have brought the tie because in the room of 40 or 50 people, I was the only one not wearing a tie, right? But I had the maturity to know that I needed like this into a meeting in the mayor's office, right? And so we have to think, Father, in heaven, today I am going into a 
synagogue, so to speak. How do I present myself in such a way that people will want to ask me about the hope that I found in Jesus Christ? And there's so much in this passage of Scripture, and if I'm not careful, we'll be here past brunch, and I don't want any of those crockpots to burn our food. Um, but I do think it's also really interesting here. And it's, also, it's become a reason why many times at the beginning of a teaching I'll remind us that there are those of us that believe and those of us that don't believe, and that sometimes in our teaching we'll address both, is because of examples like this. Because Paul here mentions in certain translations it's called God-fearers, in others it's called Gentiles who worship God. But because we're not first century, we don't really understand this. But in the Jewish synagogue, it wasn't always Jewish people. So Paul is referencing, looking around this synagogue, looking at people saying, well, I know some of you believe in the God of Israel. You haven't gone through all the practices yet to be fully considered into the family of Israel. And so he's calling them out by saying to you, look, I know that there's even some of you Gentiles who have already embraced the God of Israel. I want you to be I want you to know that the words I'm speaking today are for you as well. I think this passage of Scripture should be read in tandem with Stephen's sermon or speech that he gave in Acts chapter 7. You'll find incredibly similar passages of Scripture. You almost feel like as if Paul is being But in actuality, Stephen was taking the same principle that Paul was by saying, I know who my audience is, and I'm going to start by giving them something that's really important. And I think that I love what they do. They don't, even when we talked about Stephen's, he never answered the question until the end of his speech. And Paul is also standing up and waiting to the very end to give the answer because he's saying to them is you got to have so many dots connected before I even can get to the point of the question that you're asking me. And that's why I love the preparation that Paul has here, is he's able to walk back all the way to the beginning, then to get, begin to talk to them about who they are because of the risen Jesus. The major difference here is that Paul focuses more on the monarch family than Stephen did. Stephen spent more time talking about the founding fathers, Abraham, um, Isaac, and Moses, and where Paul touches on it, speaks of the years and years that were going on, but his point was to get to Saul and to get to David because he wanted them to understand that God is like a crock pot with us, like, he, like we're in it. Like nothing that he did was just random. Where a lot of people have been taught, as you interpret the Old Testament, that it was just some random series of events that these Israelite people went through. But it really was adolescent, it's, it's infancy, like birth to teenage to adult. And Israel got a taste of adulthood in King David. There are expectations of Lakin, who turned one yesterday, Right? that are different than the expectations of my son who's going to turn 16 in October, right? I would be doing my son harm if I put on him Lakin's expectation. Number one, he doesn't sit in my lap anymore. <laughs> and when he does a practical joke or he's seeking to insult me in some way or he's getting struggling to hold me down, right? 
Nor is it fair for Blake and Olivia to put an expectation on Lakin to have 16-year-old responsibilities. Like, there's no way they can say, Lakin, every Monday you've got to make sure the trash is at the curb, right? That, and, and then punish him if it doesn't happen. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That'd be worth calling some parental hotline against them. And so I want you guys to see, and as simplistically as I can make it for a predominantly non-Jewish audience, so much of the story of Israel is about their maturity, is about them growing up, is about them learning about their God and their calling as a special people of God. And so God had always been looking for that special people to mature, to be a light in the world, to be a voice and continued to say, in King David, a man after God's own heart. It wasn't speaking, because Paul, Paul talks about David's sins, and especially in the book of Romans. Paul here isn't denying the fact that David had affairs and had a problem with lust, which we're going to be talking a lot about in the next couple Denying the fact that David was sinful, but for the first time in Israel's history, we got a taste of the maturity of the calling of God because they had a king that sought justice and was seeking mercy and running after God. That was a taste. They finally had a chance to be able to see what a king leading them to be a light to all the nations was starting to look like. And that is the basic as I can make that for us today. And so... Um, let me, let me jump to this, because now Paul, in this letter, is trying to introduce to this group of people in the that Jesus had come to be their Savior. But yet, Paul doesn't talk to them about being sinners. I was curious about that. He doesn't talk to them about being separate from God. He doesn't talk to them about being a sinful people. And then it hit me, the reason why they didn't have to do that is because they knew they didn't have to convince them that they were out of the will of God because if they were in the will of God, they would have known that they would have been the prosperous nation. They wouldn't have been under Roman control. They wouldn't have been the ones that were being beaten down and and the promises of God that were talked about to them weren't being fulfilled. They, they, so they knew that they weren't walking in step with God. They knew that there had to be reasons corporately and individually that they needed to be made right with God. And Paul stepped straight into the fact, look, we, we understand why this exile feeling we're feeling, but let me tell you this, in the midst of where you are, Jesus, the risen Jesus, has come to be your rescuer. And so everything now about this whole message that Paul is giving has to do with the fact that he is a rescuer and that this is a good news. And I want to come back to the fact that this is good news because Jesus is fulfilling all of the promises made to whom? No, not to us. The Jews. This starts in the synagogue audience And he's saying to them, look, remember all the promises that were given to you about being a holy nation, a light to the world, salt amongst the nations, words that Jesus used to talk about the new work of the family of God that he was coming to start, the new kingdom that was coming together that included Jews and Gentiles, but the Old Testament prophecies that had to be fulfilled first people to be aware that the promises were coming true had to be told to which people group? 
to the Jews. And so all of the prophets dealing with Jeremiah, especially 54 and 55, and you start looking at the passage in Habakkuk that Paul references here, he is saying to them, let me connect the dots for you. I am showing up announcing to you Jews and to you God-fearing people that are Gentiles worshiping here, you are the first ones to hear in this area that Jesus is risen all of the promises of Israel are now fulfilled. Your sins are forgiven. You can walk in the power of that forgiveness and you can experience a new life. And so Paul is doing a masterful job of drawing them in. And I don't have time this morning to break down every aspect of the Old Testament that he's helping them to connect the dots on, but I'm going to entrust that to you. But I also want you to hear this sermon that Paul is giving in a little bit different light. Because it's so easy when you have the melodic and the calm voice of E.K. reading the scriptures to us that you just feel like, wow, this would have been just a beautiful moment in the synagogue of God to have worshipped and have been taught. But this isn't like a group of people relaxing in a room together. The scene isn't going to feel at this first century with Paul talking where there's no tension. It's not going to feel like a bunch of friends sitting on the beach, watching the sunrise, talking about their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not going to feel this way. It's going to feel more like several of you leaving brunch today to go over to the beach that's down in the Harbor East, sitting in the sand in some chairs, talking to one another, and somebody runs up to you saying, you need to run to high ground. The harbor is about ready to rise, and it's going to be dangerous in just a few hours. So Paul's words coming to these people are words of intensity, of rescue, of urgency, of don't miss it. Don't let this word, don't take my words lightly and think, oh, we got plenty of time. He's saying to them a sense of powerful urgency that you need to listen. If you miss your opportunity, it could be too late. And that's why I say to us when we start, believers and unbelievers, forgiveness of sins is extended to you. We don't know when everything is going to be set right when all of the final bells are going to be rung and we're going to be standing before God someday. We don't know. And so today, why would you let the truth of the forgiveness of your sins pass you by thinking I've got another day, but you're not aware that the waters are rising? And for those of us that believe, why does the message of good news of Jesus Christ not seem so urgent to us anymore? Why has it become something that we just don't feel comfortable sharing with anybody? When we know that because of our condition of sin, that we're separated from God and that we need to walk in the power of forgiveness. So I would love for us to begin to understand and to grasp the urgency of what Paul is doing here, how we should begin to walk in that sense of urgency as well. All right, let me, let me bring this to a close I feel like I'm at my father-in-law's service. I have more notes than I really should have prepared for today, um, and so I'm quickly editing um, things down because I want to make this point for us. In its most simplest form today, 
for all of us, diversity included, education included, the whole, our ability to comprehend all this. At the end of the day, nothing needs to stand between us and God anymore. Okay? Nothing. Nothing. That means it could be as simple as us having the power to turn off Netflix, right? It's as simple as us saying, I can set aside a day to just be still and know that he's God. But it also is powerful to say this act last week or 10 years ago doesn't need to hold guilt and shame over me anymore. I can be freed from that. The things and the lies that people have told me, people that I've trusted that have lied to me about my identity and who I am, that doesn't have to hold me anymore because through the love and the power of Jesus Christ, the proof of that in the resurrection, <laughs> then I have hope, I have life, I have access to being made new. No matter where I am or what I have been subject to it all has power to set us free now you can see why when paul and barnabas stopped talking and they started walking away people are like wait a minute we got more questions following them down the street because there were jews and gentiles alike that were like whoa we've never heard this before this is new but yet it makes sense i feel drawn to this and it also shows you why people that were antagonistic started to raise up strategy for how to thwart Paul and Barnabas's intentionality because they didn't want people to follow after them. So if nothing needs to stand between us and God anymore, that means that you and I have access to the forgiveness of our sins. Why would we want to carry our sins around anymore? This whole address is about this amazing story of grace. Now, this is why some of the Jewish leaders got really upset with Paul and Barnabas, because now imagine, in this section of the stage is a group of people that have, in the best human effort, kept every law of Moses that they possibly can think of. They have tried to be holy. They followed religious rituals. They've given their lives to memorizing scripture. They have done everything they could to stay holy and clean in a perverse Roman world. And they've been running after it. And then over here, Paul and Barnabas says, it doesn't matter what you do. All can have equal access to the holy God of Israel. By the people that had given some of them decades of their life, to doing something that they felt like was setting them apart to be special in the eyes of God and them to realize that because of Jesus, it doesn't matter. Everybody's special. We still find those struggles in the church today where people are like, I've been following after God better than somebody else, so things, I should get a better portion of honor. When Jesus says, I am happily adopting all of you as equal heirs into my kingdom. And because of that, I'm going to pay a price for all of you, knowing that some of you cost me a lot more than others. Right? Let's be honest. There are people that cost God more. Yet when we finally get to the banquet table, there's not a seat of honor more special than Jesus Christ's seat. We all, the rest of us, get the same portion. 
And it's such an amazing invitation. But I can see why people that have tried to be holy all their life would be offended by that. Like, you mean all my efforts have been in vain? No, Paul says to them. No, it's not been in vain. Do you not understand that God is a rewarder? Like, you've got to jump start on everybody else. Now in Christ, keep working it out. Keep walking it out. Keep living it out. And so, so much of this teaching is about the amazing mercy of God that climaxed in Jesus Christ. It is about you and I sticking with Jesus not just hearing about it and then going and doing our own thing. This life in Christ is something that should overcome us. So we learn more about it, we live in it, and then we live from it. All right, I want you guys to hear that. We learn about it, we live in it, and then we live from it. It's not just that I'm aware that Jesus forgave me and it has no impact on how I live. We're going to talk about that next week. If Jesus really is Jesus, then it should change the way I live. It isn't that I am just forgiven however I want. It is I am forgiven to live in him and to follow after him because he is the true Lord of all. And so you and I have got to learn what it looks like to walk in as a possession of God. Like I am his and he is ours, right? But this is also a huge challenge to all of us that believe. And I put this quote out here by N.T. Wright. I thought it was a really good way to end this. Most of us in here that are believers. But Paul's strategy is a challenge to us all to understand our audience well enough to know how to tell the story in a way they will find compelling and how to set up signposts in a language they can read. That's not just pastors or for people that are considered elders or deacons. That's for every follower. Each of us, our calling in life isn't our vocation. Our calling in life, according to the New Testament, the writings to the early church, was just to tell people really good news. And so that gets us into the fabric of all society. So today, is this a challenging statement to you? Do you feel like you can talk about Christ? in a way that would make sense. Now, the thing that I love is that Paul knew his Jewish audience, so his years of studying the Jewish scriptures really came in handy for them, for him. Some of you, you spent your whole life studying the classics. I'm talking like rock and roll. So, How can you use your story to show people how you came to know Jesus Christ? You might have to go back and use characters that aren't in the Bible to help you tell a story of how you came to know Jesus because it's your story, your audience, that's asking you to tell them about why you have found hope in Jesus Christ. And so you don't need to tell somebody else's story. They're not asking you to tell them somebody else's story. They're not asking you, what would Paul say? They're asking you to say, what would Ellis say? And we've got to become comfortable being ready to give an answer. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the testimony of Paul and Barnabas here.
I thank you so much for just the way we can learn about strategy in life. But Father, above all, would you give us courage to talk about Jesus? That we would present ourselves in such a way that people ask us because they trust us to say why we believe what we believe. So Lord, would you help us to, to judge based even down to what we wear when we're, when we're in places so that we bring in the truth of Christ. Father, I pray for those today that still have skepticism or haven't been able to tell people, no, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I'm confessing Jesus. Father, we want them to step from unbelief to being a follower after Christ. And so, Father, today, would you help those that don't believe to place their trust in Christ? And Father, as those of us that believe come to the table, we want to do this with great reverence. We want to come to the table thankful for the gift, the merciful, amazing grace of God. And so, Lord, as we come to the table and we take the body, the bread that represents the body, and the, the cup that represents the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, Father, we say we believe. But, Father, we also want to be a people that live like Christ. So would you give us the courage this week to be broken and poured out for others? And so, Lord, as we come to the table, would you help us to remember, as Olivia challenged us earlier to do, would you help us to remember what is true and right and noble and just and that we would think on those things? We, we, we just come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.